he's, he's subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And heavens gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. Now, what, what is James referencing? Talk to me. Okay, first Kings first Kings chapter seventeen. Continue. Okay. He goes he goes to the king and and he declares that there's going to be a drought. Why why is there going to be a drought? Anybody? Well, more specific. There's a there's a specific reason. Go ahead. I'm not talking. No. Uh, um, okay. Uh, they were they were worshiping the the nation of Israel. Were, they were worshiping Baal, and God said, "That's it. We're done." And He tells Elijah to go to the king, and the, and Elijah declares to the king that there's going to be a drought for. Uh, does he does he tell the king how long? Okay, he 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 does kind of. He doesn't give him okay. It's going to be a three and a half year drought. He just says there's going to be a drought until I stop it. Then, <clears throat> well. It, uh, uh, first, first Kings chapter 17 and verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was uh, of the inhabitants of Gilgal, said to, unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, be, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years according to my word. So Elijah, Elijah puts, the, puts the hammer down. And he, and, 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 and he declares that there's going to be a drought until God gives him the green light, so to speak. God was trying to get Israel's attention. And one of the things that is interesting is not only did it, did it not rain, but there was no dew on the ground. No moisture at all. After three and a half years, Elijah <clears throat> goes to a place called Mount Carmel. Now, you you folks voted to send my wife and I to Israel. And one of the first places, according to the itinerary, that we get to go is Mount Carmel. I am so excited. I, I, uh, I, I, am, I am just beside myself. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> back to this. Um, so what happens on Mount Carmel? We all, we all know the story. Uh, hopefully we do. But, but Elijah challenges the, the priest of Baal to a contest, so to speak. And he says, you guys can build your altar and ask Baal to do whatever he's going to do. And, and I'll do the same thing. 
And whichever God brings fire down from heaven will be the God of heaven. In 1 Kings chapter 16, and again, this is a story that many of us are familiar with, but in 1 Kings 18, verses 36 to 39, it says, says this, And it came to pass at the time uh, of the offering for the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known uh, this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things according to thy word. Hear me, O, o, o Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their, he their heart back again. And when the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt offer, the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stone, and the dust, and all, and and licked up uh, the water that was in the trenches. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, "The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God." So Elijah calls down fire from heaven, and poof. The fire comes, and it consumes the water and, and the, the altar and the water and even the rocks, and it just it consumes everything. And it started raining immediately, right? No, it did not. He didn't pray for the rain to start. But in verse 41, Elijah tells the king Ahab, that he needs to get ready because it's going to rain. So Ahab gets on his donkey or his chariot or whatever, and he takes off. But Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel, bends down to the ground, and puts his face between his knees. And he prays. And he tells his servant after he's, after he's done praying, he tells his servant to go look toward the sea and see if he could see any clouds or anything. So Elijah's servant goes and he looks and he sees nothing and he comes back to Elijah and, and, and he says, Elijah, I, I, I saw nothing. And Elijah once again puts his head between his knees and he starts to beg God. For seven times, Elijah prayed. Seven times, the servant goes and looks. Well, I should say six times. But after the seventh prayer, after the seventh time of, of going to God and asking God to please open the windows of heaven in, in, in rain, the servant goes the seventh time and he says, <clears throat> I see something. And he goes back to Elijah and he says, Elijah, there's a cloud about the size of my hand. And then everything busts loose and rain comes. 
First Kings chapter 18, verse 44, and it came to pass at the seventh time he, that, he said, that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out, out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up and say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop, stop, stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heavens were black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. We might be tempted to think that Elijah was some sort of super-Christian. Would we not? I mean, couldn't we think that? But I appreciate what James said. He's just a man like you and me. But he knew how to get a hold of God. James uses this passage in 1 Kings as an example to us as fervent prayer. The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And then he, then he goes in and talks about this event in 1 Kings as an example of fervent prayer. What is one thing in our lives that can block us from having a fervent prayer life? Okay, being being too busy. Yeah, our our problems are too small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sin, absolutely sin is something that can keep us from having. How about doubt? Think about this. Is is earnest prayer important? Okay, yeah. Is prayer, our praying with faith important? Absolutely. But the passage that we just read in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 does not seem to indicate that God reversed the drought because of forcefulness, determination, or effectiveness. According to James, the reason why God reversed the drought was because of the effectual, fervent prayers of one man, Elijah. That would tell me, I don't know, but that would tell me that God wasn't ready to stop the drought. That's how I read it. But because of 
Elijah's fervent prayers, God reversed the drought. Because if the, if, the, if the end of the drought was dependent on the heart of the people, God would have had it start raining when fire came down and consumed it, the altar. Because what did the people do? Immediately they repented. The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. God used Elijah to show us how much or how important, excuse me, how important our prayer life can be. We need to confess our sins and pray and expect God to answer our prayers. But we need to do it in a way with a whole heart. Again, going back to the definition of, of, of uh, fervent, wholehearted, sincere prayer life. I'll be honest with you, there have been days where I have prayed and I've, I've asked God and, and, and I've spent a lot of time in prayer and, and I've done it half-hearted. Because I'm supposed to pray. Okay, all right, I've got a few minutes. Okay, let me, okay. And, 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 and that is the wrong reason. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Consistent, fervent, wholehearted, sincere prayer. Point number three. Not only should we, uh, our prayers uh, be sincere. Point number three, we must pray for God's will in our lives. I, 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 as I, as I studied for this, and I, I was putting my notes together. I cannot overemphasize this point. We must pray. We must pray for God's will in our lives. His will must be our priority even if we don't understand His will. I can't, I can't tell you how many times in my, in my walk with the Lord I have seen people go through just horrendous things. Hor- horrendous things. I, I, just things that... And, you, and you, you, can, you can justifiably look at me and say, Rick, is that the will of God? You know, I don't know what the will of God is for other people. I don't understand how God works. I can't explain it. But I can say this, God tells us to pray according to His will. Let's read it. Verse 9, 
says, After this manner, therefore pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy what? Thy will be done. And sometimes, sometimes, the will of God is a hard pill to swallow. It's hard sometimes. And I, I get that. We've all been through difficult situations. But the hope is that as we go through hard times, what, ha- what should happen on the, on the backside of it? Exactly. We should grow. We should, be, we should be closer to God because of those difficult times. Our, strength, our, our, our faith should grow and be stronger. The Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. We've talked about this many times. I'm not going to go into it a whole lot. Um, but it, it's not about reciting that prayer. It is about understanding the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God in, in, is, is, is very evident throughout the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. But the one thing tonight that I want to drive home is that His will for your life needs to be preeminent in your prayer life. Many of you that I know have been in the hospital and and I have prayed with you uh, many times in the hospital. And almost always, I will say something like this, God, whatever your will is, you have your way in their lives. I very seldom pray, God, healed this person because I don't want to presume to know the will of God. An example is my mom. Now, did I pray for my mom to get better? Absolutely I did. Why? Because she's my mom. I had to. She, she'd have slapped me if I didn't. But no, seriously. Just like I want the will of God for your life, I wanted the will of God for my mom's life. And sometimes we don't understand. We, we can honestly say we don't understand. And that's okay. I don't think we have to understand. We just need to be okay knowing that God is in control. Robert Law, whoever this is, I don't know, I don't know who he is, but I like what he said. Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for men, uh, not for getting men's will done on, uh, in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. I love that. Warren Wiersbe wrote this: If we put God's concerns first then uh, we can bring our, our own needs. God is concerned about our needs and knows them even before we mention them. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8. If this is the case, then why pray? Because prayer uh, is the God's because prayer is God's appointed way to have these needs met. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Prayer prepares us for the proper use 
of the answer. If we know our need, and if we voice it to God, trust Him and His provision, then we will make better use of the answer when um, answer than if God forced it upon us without asking. I, I, I love what I love the the word picture here that Warren Wordsby gives us because what he's saying is this, at least the way I understand what he's saying is this: if we pray and we pray for God's will to be done in our lives, and we talk to God repeatedly about this thing, what would what what are we allowing God to have the opportunity to do? To change our hearts. How how many of you how many of you have ever um, contemplated a thought and think, wow, that sounds really good. And then you go to someone and you actually tell them, and as you're telling them, you're like, that didn't come out the way I wanted it to. Yeah, am I the only one that has done that? <laughs> In fact, mine are usually like, wow, that was really stupid. (laughs) What happens when we talk to God? See, we're able to then share our hearts. And there have been times, honestly, to be perfectly honest, there have been times I have gone to God with a heavy burden, convinced that I know the will of God in this particular situation. And after, after praying and praying and praying and praying, looking back thinking, boy, I'm sure glad he didn't answer that prayer. Why? Because he knows best. He knows best. If we are willing to pray in God's will, okay, before before I continue this thought I want to I want to warn you that this thought can change your life if you're willing to pray in God's will then you must be willing to accept God's will that's a tough one Because we don't always understand God's will. It's tough. I want to share with you something I read recently that... Anyway, I just want to share it with you. What do we do when we miss God's perfect will? Okay, now now I want to stop right here. Um... I've heard that there are two kinds of God's will, if this makes sense. God's perfect will and God's permissive will. What is the difference? Okay. Yeah, it... it, it, um, let me see if I can 
okay, sometimes we pray for His will, but we kind of do our own thing, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? And God says, okay, go ahead. Now, how many, how many of us parents, have, uh, as you're raising your children, your, your child comes to you and says, hey, I want to do this. And, and your response is, you'll be sorry. And they go and do it. And they come back with a busted lip or whatever. And you, and you want to say, I tried to tell you. That is God's permissive will. When you go to him and you're like, I'm doing this. Bless God, I'm going to jump my bike off that mountain. <laughs> okay. When you break your leg, don't come crying to me. See, my wife has a policy. If I do, if I hurt myself, which I do often, okay, she feels sorry for me. Most of the time. But if I do something stupid and hurt myself, she laughs at me. Yeah, just zero sympathy. Hey, the band-aids are that way, stupid. But God's perfect will. What do you do when you miss God's perfect will? We must do the right thing. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 16 says this, For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. When we, when we mess up and seem to have missed the perfect will of God, we should trust God and do the following. And he gives us five things that we should do if we miss the will of God for our lives. Number one, confess all known sin, knowing that God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. It starts off by confessing our sin. The second thing that we should do if we, if we feel like we've missed God's will. Number two, ask God to show us where we went wrong and to reveal what was in our hearts. Psalm chapter 139 verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The third thing that we should do, if our actions involve a sin against someone else, seek forgiveness and make restitution. Who can who can who can give me an example in the in the Bible, particularly I'll give I'll narrow it down in the New Testament of somebody who did that very same thing. Let me read it again while you're kind of thinking. Number three, if, you're, if your actions involve a sin against someone else, seek forgiveness and make restitution. Who in the New Testament did that? <laughs> no, no. Huh? No, 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 no. Well, he asked for forgiveness, but the only one that we know of that actually made or attempted to make restitution was a guy named Zacchaeus. 
in repenting of his sin, promised the Lord, if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Luke chapter 19, verse 8. Number four, return to the Lord and seek to glorify him in all that you do. You know what? If you mess up, just go back to God. It's a whole lot easier to, to move forward if you're not looking backwards. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And then number five, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to guide your life. John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, uh, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. His will. We must always pray in the will of God for our lives. And then f number four, uh, the last point, we must be willing to forgive others. We must be willing to forgive others. Verses 14 and 15 says, For if we... Uh, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'll be honest with you. As a pastor, one of the biggest struggles that many people have, Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter, is forgiveness. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the, the statement, but Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't know. But I know what the Bible says. That if you want to be forgiven, you want to be right with God, you have to forgive. You have to. Jesus closed the parable of the uh, uh, unforgiving servant. Uh, we looked at it a few weeks ago. The unforgiving servant with a sharp rebuke. Matthew chapter 18, verse 35. So likewise shall your heavenly Father do also unto you if ye uh, from your hearts forgive not everyone uh, his brother their trespasses. What is, what is do, you, do you remember, we talked about it a few weeks ago, um, the, the unforgiving servant. Wh where did the unforgiving servant end up? A really bad prison because the first prison that, they, that he was going to go to was just a, a, a chain gang, so, so to speak, type prison where he could actually work off his indebtedness where, where the Bible doesn't say that they sent him to that kind of prison. They say, he said, the Bible says they sent him to be tortured. That's what this verse is talking about. The torture that takes place in a person's mind is far worse than any torture that can happen to us physically. If we are unwilling to forgive 
it becomes relentless. The blessings of God are, of God are gone from your life. It's a horrible way to live. Unfortunately, I've seen it too many times. Question. When Jesus, in these two verses, verses 14 and 15, what, what is he saying? Verses 14 and 15, about forgiving and not forgiving. What is he saying? I'm sorry? Do you want forgiveness? You need to forgive. Matthew Henry put it this way. This is intended to teach us that, that they shall have judgment without mercy that uh, have showed no mercy. Now, I don't know about you. I love mercy. <laughs> Just saying. Because I don't want what I deserve. Does anybody here want what you deserve? Absolutely not. And what 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 um, uh, uh, Matthew Henry said here, and I believe I believe him to be correct, is that the people that, in, in particularly in verse fifteen, that show no mercy when the judgment comes, they will get no mercy. That's a scary thought. James chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. As we talked about yesterday in our men's Bible study, James has a way of just laying it out there. He just has a way of just saying it. Just here it is. No, no, no getting around what James is trying to communicate. Now, question. Is the forgiveness that Jesus is talking about here in verses 14 and 15, is it talking about salvation? No, it's not. It's very clearly that this is not talking about God for not forgiving your sin in the, in the sense of salvation because that is a free gift that he gives. But it does absolutely affect our relationship. So many believers miss out on the blessings of God because of unforgiveness. So many. Another uh, another quote here from an uh, unknown source. I don't know. I've been finding a lot of these I really like, but um, it is a, it is strange that while praying, we seldom ask for the for for change of character, but always a change in circumstances. Let 
I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, God, take this thing away from me, like Paul. But what we need to be doing is praying, God, give me the character to get through it. I read this story years and years and years ago. I wanted to share it with you in closing one more time. I think I've, I've even shared it here before. But I, anyway, this, this came to me as I was winding up this, this idea of prayer. Um, early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in private devotions. Each one reportedly had a separate spot uh, in the thicket where he would pour out his heart to God. Over time, the path of these places uh, became well-worn. As a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it was soon apparent to the others. They would kindly remind the neglected one, brother, the grass is growing on your path. And as, I, as, as we wind up this, this, this thought of prayer, what's your prayer, your, your prayer path look like? Is it well-worn or is it being neglected? If it's being neglected, then start walking it again. It's really that simple. God has given us the, 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 the incredible privilege of coming to Him and, 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 and talking to Him and being able to pour out our hearts and our, and our, and our innermost thoughts to a God that He already knows them, but we can have this, this intimate time together with an Almighty God. And yet so many of us neglect that time. Shame on us. So, what does your prayer path look like? Does it need some work? I don't know. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you uh, for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I do ask that you would uh, speak to our hearts, you would encourage us, you would strengthen us, and that you would help us to, to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, announcement time. But I have a question. So we've talked about giving alms. We've talked about prayer. Anybody know what the next one is? Fasting. How many of you want to talk about fasting?